I will always be viewed as a foreigner、um, by some people. It's the idea of being a perpetual foreigner. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to the Recovering Hypocrite Podcast. I am, as always, your host and the chief recovering hypocrite around these parts, Noel Jesse Haken. And, and this is, I know, the first podcast episode of 2021, but I needed a little break after 2020. I'm excited to dive back in. This is episode 45, and I can't think of a Better conversation to have and a better first guest to have on here than the guy I've got on today. Today's podcast is going to feature my friend and co worker, Young Yi, who is our MSU venue director、uh, for Riverview, the church where I have the honor of serving as one of the pastors. And here's what happened with this one we were going to record together, but I was feeling a little bit under the weather and I had Easter coming up. And so I wanted to be really cautious to make sure I was feeling okay. And so So、instead, I recorded with him as I took a walk around my neighborhood. So, some of the sound quality kind of stinks,、um, but you'll still be able to hear、uh, what we have to talk about because I invited him onto this podcast to talk about his experience as an Asian American leader. In a predominantly white evangelical church. And this wide ranging conversation that we had is definitely one I want to encourage you to take the time to listen to, especially if you, like me, happen to be a white evangelical. This is a good、uh, conversation for you to listen in on. I learned a lot from Young as we talked, and I'm hoping that you will learn a lot too. And so,、uh, without further ado, here is my friend, Young Yi. Hello? Yo! <laughs> what, are, you, are you at your place or what? Yeah, I'm at home. Yeah, I decided to go for a walk. Nice. Good, good. I'm, I'm walking far from my house、yeah. uh, right now, and all over the yard in this condo complex near my house, there's Easter eggs everywhere. You should totally snatch them up. <laughs> okay, so should I grab one and see what's in it? Should I see what's in it? <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Pick one up. It's green, it's like a lime green. And I'm gonna, it, it's, it's, oh, it's a Reese's peanut butter cup. Hey, you know, as long as if it's you or some wild animal that's out there taking these wild, you know, these Easter eggs, it's, <laughs> it's fair game in my book. I mean, I'm not kidding you. There are hundreds of Easter eggs all over the yard at this, at this condo complex. How, how hilarious would it be if, if no one at the condo complex? Was the one to put that out there, and just some random person did that as like a prank. Well, <laughs> well you know, now I'm totally feeling weird. Like maybe I shouldn't eat something I found in the yard.、Mm, you know, I'm going to eat it anyway. Yeah, there you go. I was going to say, it, you know,、yeah. it's okay. So, Young, here's the thing、um, since you're officially a guest on my podcast, I want to do the thing I normally do with all my podcast guests, even though I know <laughs> you really well. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three. Publicly known pieces of information about you.、Mm. And, then, and then I need you to give us three little known pieces of information about you or things that people may not know about you. So,、oh, okay. Cool. okay, does that work? Okay,、yeah. so Young, Young is the MSU venue director for Riverview. So he and I get to spend lots of time together. He is also a breakdancing instructor at all of the above Hip Hop Academy. The third one is that I'm bald.、Uh, <laughs> yeah, true story. I was, talking to a, I was talking to a guy 
that is getting his MDiv at Moody, where you're getting yours right now. Oh, cool. And I asked him the other day if he knew you. And he said, he said, he said, well, what does he look like? I said, he's Korean, glasses, bald. And he <laughs> said, oh, I know who he is. That's hilarious. Ramon Rivera. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've, I've, I think I've met Ramon before. He's planting a church on the west side of Chicago. There you go. So we've, we've got at least four things about you we've already mentioned. So give us three things that most people don't know about you mm. or little known facts about you. Most people will probably think I was born here in America, but I was born in South Korea, in Seoul. And, uh, but then I moved here when I was one. So there's one thing there. The second thing would probably be that my legal name is Young, but if if that wasn't my legal name, uh, it was going to be Solomon. And that oh, really? Yeah, my English name was going to be Solomon. And I, Solomon Yi, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, so not, not too many people know that. Only There's only like three people in my life that call me Solomon. My um, my grandpa or my step grandpa, he calls me Solomon, and then there's these two older guys in my life, and so if they call me Solomon now, I would totally still respond to them. But if anyone else calls me Solomon, it's kind of like <laughs> first I just ask them like, "Whoa, how did you even know that?" <laughs> well, you just significantly increased the number of people who know that piece of information. So oh yeah, awesome. yeah. No, so it's, give it's us a third one. What's the third welcome. one? I would say that I am somewhat of a lord of the rings buff and to the point where it started in middle school where for a middle school project i did my best to learn the uh the the, the language that the elves use in seventh grade i tried learning that and obviously it was very difficult and so i did my project on a different part of lord of the rings that i don't remember but uh, so young i invited you on here to talk about i didn't even try to say mm -hmm. it the asian american experience in a white evangelical church mm. and i know that that's, that's kind of a loaded topic these days yeah. but how just for people who don't know your story like how long have you been coming around riv mm. how did you end up coming around to riv mm -hmm. give a little backstory so people know what's going on with you man okay so yeah i grew up in the korean church grew up in sbc southern baptist church like a korean southern baptist church and i realized this maybe like six years ago that it was a church plant. <laughs> we were kind of, we were incubating, we were borrowing half of a building from another white ah. Southern Baptist church. And so I grew up in, in a Korean church, grew up in a Christian home. And then in Michigan, at least in Michigan, there's a Korean church camp that happens in the summertime called MCKC, the Michigan Council of Korean Churches Youth Camp, the MCKC Youth Camp. And I went there all throughout my, you know, uh, childhood middle school high school um it's from sixth grade entering sixth grade to entering freshman year of college and during my junior year of high school i went obviously right to mickey camp and you were the speaker actually that year okay and this is this is this is where things get a little bit wild so you were the the first <laughs> non-korean speaker i believe at mickey camp because the administrative team for the camp that year some of them were, were students at MSU at one point, and they went to Riverview Church. And my youth director, his name's Davey, at that time, went to MSU and then went to Riverview as well. And I remember hearing you preach, and you obviously with, uh, had a very different preaching style than all the, you know, the Korean pastors that I you know, was, was so accustomed to. 
And I, w- I remember you had one sermon where you literally just walked off off the, the pulpit and just the sermon ended and it was so abrupt and we were so, everyone was so confused. And then it clicked, like, cause I think you were illustrating that as like, you don't know when things like can come to an end or whatever. And then you just like <laughs> literally walked off and I was like, Holy cow, this is- <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even remember I that. I remember that. Was, that. It sounds like yeah, me, but it, that, it I don't remember so, that. It was so like, wild. it just made such a strong impression. And so I asked my youth, youth director and said, hey, like, do you know, like, this guy, this you know, Pastor Noel, and he was like, "Yeah, if you go to if you go to MSU, um, and you can go to Riverview Church." And I remember when I was listing out the different colleges I got accepted into. I went, I got accepted to Loyola in Chicago, Kalamazoo College, and then MSU. And I remember listing the three different reasons, top reasons for each school why I wanted to go in. And Riverview was actually, I'm not, no, no, no cap. Right, no joke. Riverview being uh, at MSU essentially was one of the reasons on my paper, piece of paper, wow. and so I went. So I decided to go to MSU, and then I don't know. If th- I don't know if you've ever told me that detail before. That's yeah, weird. yeah. That, that that's humbling. That's really yeah. Cool. No, it was it was it was wild, and and then obviously you know I, I my freshman year I go to Riv, um, <laughs> and there's obviously some some fun stories there because um, I lived a, a dual <laughs> life uh, as a college student. And um and then and then I stepped out of Rib actually to serve at a Korean church for two years because I, I I just missed the Korean church so much and then after that I realized during my time in the Korean church and this is not to speak ill of the Korean church um I'm not trying to throw them under the under the bus or anything but I did feel that at that time um I I felt like I hit like a ceiling and and I wanted to grow as a leader. And and so uh, after some time, I, I ended up leaving, and then that's when I applied for my internship at Riverview, and then I started essentially my my time at Rivet in 2015. So, so that was actually maybe a wow. little bit longer than a short version, but um, looking back, man, like uh, my my where I'm at now as that venue director at the MSU venue is pretty wild to me because it started really from my junior year of high school, which was 2008. Yeah. And uh, or that summer of 2008. And, you know, yeah, I'm just grateful for the Lord and working in my life then. And you just see these different fingerprints in, in your life when you look back in your life that way. So. All right. So talk to me a little bit about you <clears throat> made a comment there that I don't know that I remember hearing you say before that uh, the reason you left Riverview was that you missed the Korean church mm. as a I'm, I'm going to try to be a generalist and speak for all white evangelicals everywhere, <laughs> which is probably But I think there's a sense that for white American evangelicals, we kind of think of our church experience as normative. Mm. And even though there's a ton of variety in churches, yeah, like yeah. this is what, what I've experienced is if I go to like a high church, Episcopalian church, Lutheran church or something like that, and then I go to Riverview and then I go to like a free Methodist church, each one of them, feels different even though we think our experience is normative mm. and but when i go to a korean church it doesn't matter whether i go to a southern baptist <laughs> a methodist a presbyterian church it feels like the same yeah. church yeah so it's almost like the experience from my observation on the outside is korean church is a little bit more consistent and normative than the white evangelical churches but maybe i'm just seeing that through white eyes and i no. can't you know yeah. what I mean? Tell the di- difference in between the services. Yeah. So, wh- tell me, tell me about that experience. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what it was that you missed? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that 
um, that you say said what you said about the Korean church because that that I was gonna add that on if you if you did not say that, which was like, yeah, you can go to a Korean Methodist Presbyterian or Southern Baptist church, and you're essentially gonna just be experiencing the same thing um, at each place. Maybe like at the pastoral level, there's obviously gonna be differences, right, in what they teach and, and what they believe in, but pretty much like after that, like ninety five percent of the experience is gonna be the same. And you know what I what I missed was like, I mean, you know, Riverview is such a is such a large church, and so um, I I just w- never understood what it, that felt like. But then, and yeah. for us, and meaning us, I, I came in with a group of uh, Asian American students from the campus ministry, Korean Christian Fellowship, which is now called Generations Christian Fellowship. Um, and you know, we would come into the eleven thirty service at whole venue we would be that like bubble of asian people and walk in and then we would walk out um and just that church experience was nice because we weren't expected to serve <laughs> and lead um which is like uh, essentially when you once you hit college age and you're still at your local church most more than likely you're going to like your local korean church or asian church more than likely you're going to be asked to serve and if you've been serving your entire life <laughs> uh, within the korean church it's it's kind of like a breath a uh, breath of fresh air but there was something about, like, I guess, like, just the, the community aspect that I missed and even the serving that I missed. And just, like, I guess I can use the word intimacy there with, like, the students, the younger youth that you end up serving. And just, like, uh, that whole, it, it's very familial, right? It, um, you know, I miss the, uh, the, the lunches that the, the moms prep <laughs> after the church services are done, um, you know, and that's all Every, every week. week, every Sunday, no, it's, it's, there's a rotation there, you know, and, you know, it's, it's, it's home food, it's comfort food. And I won't lie, like, I, even some of the, like the music style, it's, you know, it, you can, within our church, Riverview, with generations, the way that they play, like, that's what, you know, every single, pretty much almost every single Asian, you know, church is going to have that type of worship style. Yeah. So I would say that those are the, the components that, that I definitely miss. Um, don't know if I articulated the, the community aspect as much um, or as well, just because there's so much in there with it. But that was definitely like, you know, you know, it's it just I just missed like the, the small home church feel, which is why at that time I, I stepped out from RIV and, and went back to a local Korean church in the East Lansing area. Talk a little bit about what the experience has been like as a Korean American in a predominantly white evangelical church. Mm. I mean, we, we desire to, to be diverse, but we're not that diverse. And what it's been like for you as a leader, has it been, has it been, has it been jarring? Uh, is there places where it's felt like tokenism? Mm. I, I, I can't say it was entirely jarring, honestly. You know, it was, it's quite obvious like, when I first stepped in, like, okay, like, it's predominantly with our staff and like the volunteers. It's a predominantly white base. Uh, makes sense, you know. Um, I I I don't think I experienced tokenism. That's I I am very confident in 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 a sense even defending Riv and saying like no like I never experienced any tokenism within our church because the the powers that be you know whether it's our elders or our other directors that call the shots for certain things like like we're very well aware of tokenism <laughs> and, and not platforming certain people just to like because of the color of the skin, you know, or their, their race and ethnicity. And so I really appreciated that with, with Riverview and, and having the sensitivity there. Um, and even having the, I'll, I'll use the word nunchi, right? That's the Korean word 
that I, I've been sharing a lot with with um, people within our church. And, and nunchi is is a Korean word. There's no English translation for it. So you kind of have to use like a, a hodgepodge of English words to define it. But it's like a social awareness. It's like a sense. Reading the room is a way to use nunchi. Um, and so I really appreciated that within our church. I, I think really like there have been a couple times though where I, it's been very clearly like shown that like okay young is the the asian dude in 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 the space um or he's just not he's just not white or some people that you know will they just didn't really know about asian culture as much <laughs> let's just say like that's just the, generally speaking like i remember we had one staffer and he was just like oh what's stir fry i've never had stir fry before <laughs> no and he was in his 20s i'm like bro how do you never have stir fry like they 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 serve stir fry in high school yeah i was like i don't even don't, they? don't like i don't know like how much like stir fry is really that much attached to like asian culture but like i mean let's just say it is right like the, just the fact that you never had stir fry i'm like yo what where you've been living at bro just having to really explain a lot of things I remember there was even one time within within our church that I've had to explain, like, no, I'm not from North Korea um, because of X, Y, and oh, Z. Man. You know what I mean? And and, and so things and so yeah, things like wow. that, things that are very like, yeah, yeah, wow, right, right. And so like, again, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, right? I, I I'm just highlighting the reality of like there are very commonplace questions that have that are becoming more of the norm of like, don't ask Asian people these things, or you know that you know. For me, as a Korean American, I've had to, I, I've run into at Riverview, and again, not trying to throw our church under the bus. Like th that's not what I'm trying to do here. But, but oh, I'm trying no, to no, explain no. the the reality of like, yeah, there are very well-meaning and good-intentioned people, gospel-believing people, people that you know I would call brothers and sisters in Christ, and at the same time, you know, we run into these very light in a sense light situations but still it's kind of like oh okay we're still at this point here <laughs> when it comes to talking to yeah. asian people you know what i mean someone had an instagram story or something recently i was watching and they're talking about it's not that that one statement of hey are you from north korea or hey what is stir fry what it is is when they compound mm. over time and and i've never been a fan and i'm probably gonna get lambaster this i've never been a fan of the phrase microaggressions ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that phrase seems sure. weird to me but the idea that these mm. things just when they when they happen over and over mm. and over have an othering sure. impact where it always seems like you are yeah. the other because you're having to explain to the quote-unquote normal mm. person what yeah, your experience yeah, yeah. is like right is that is that is that what yeah. you're kind of getting at that that kind of just chips yeah. away at, at, and maybe those are microaggressions maybe i shouldn't no. hate that phrase so much but, but it does it just like yeah chip away? yeah i think that's a that's a great thing to bring up because i think uh, there are people predominantly you know white people who get kind of frustrated with the idea of microaggressions or just like they just understand like why is asking like where are you from like why is it so annoying why is you know asking if you're from north korea or south korea so annoying why is it like, am I a racist for asking that? It's like, in my opinion, and I might get lambasted for this. No, you're not racist for asking those questions. Again, I don't think the people that ask these things to me, uh, amongst the many other within uh, my experience at working at Riverview and being part of the River Church family, um, I don't think they're racist. But, uh, uh, you know, is there a level of racial like ignorance 
and uh, an unawareness of people's racial backgrounds and you know everything that comes with it yes i, I definitely think so and, and that's in a sense that's okay like let me say that that's okay because there's that room to grow right microaggressions yes it chips away i think at a, a little bit of of kind of the identity that that in, at least for asian people that we've built up over the years um, and even I learned this recently. The, if you look at the history of the word microaggressions, actually, uh, I believe it started in the '70s, and it's rooted in Asian American um, civil rights, Asian American oh, civil really? rights activism. Um, it, yeah, I, I recently that. learned that um, from um, a conversation I had with with a group of guys that uh, I'm doing with Asian American church leaders here in Michigan, um, and we've brought in a guy named Dr. Daniel Lee from Fuller. Um, and he's the, the one of the, I think, co-directors for the Asian American Theology uh, Studies Center. But anyways, one thing I do want to say about the microaggression part is that, or just like the phrases and the questions that have been asked, is that there's this ideal in, in our country where, um, at least with Asian people, you can be born and raised here, right? So for example, I'll use my wife as an example. She was born in Cleveland, um, and so she was born in America, raised in America. Um, and then there are going to be people, and there have been people in her life and in my life, even though I've been, I was born in Korea, but I grew up 29 years here in America, 28 years here in America, where I will always be viewed as a foreigner um, by some people. And that is where the, the rubber meets the road. It's the idea of being a perpetual foreigner. Um, so I can, I can you know, speak better English, or if I can you know, have a better understanding of like, the English language, um, and, you know, I speak English fluently, I speak Korean semi-fluently, and yet even still, you know, people will view me as like a foreigner, right? As like someone who's visiting this country from, you know, uh, East Asian country. And something about that, the reason why these questions add to that perpetual foreigner stereotype, the reason why that's detrimental to Asian Americans is because like we've hustled so much, we've, we've paid our dues in a sense and we built up this identity as being both asian and american um and it chips away at that it, it kind of removes the the credibility oh. that that we've essentially earned o over the years i think and i'm sure that there's there's more to that but and and so it's it's really fascinating even within our church i do wonder like if there are times where people will see me even like preaching and you know wonder like like and this is just me just I'm just curious, like, do they think that like, oh man, like how long has he been in the States where like, oh, he speaks English well. Um, uh, there've been a couple of times where that thought for some reason has popped in while I've been, I was actively preaching <laughs> and I've like almost stopped talking. Wow. It's wow. such a distraction. A distraction. And, and whether that's, you know, a spiritual warfare thing or whatever, or that's just me just, you know, I have all, these thoughts are always constantly popping up in my brain that that's that's what i'm trying to wow. communicate yeah. is that like i'm always thinking about yeah. these things um and that's in a sense my experience of being asian within a predominantly white space and you know it's been it's been interesting it's been a very big learning experience for sure and um obviously there's a lot more there and that, that i can unpack but yeah that's i think the perpetual foreigner is something that i i think uh people should be cognizant of you know, and not just assuming, oh, that person's Asian, they must not speak English well, or, you know, or they, you know, um, you know, X, Y, and Z stereotypes. I want to pivot a little bit, although it does connect with what you were just talking about. 
uh, because mm-hmm. of the recent shootings mm-hmm. in Atlanta. And one of the things that I've been thinking about since then is kind of the, I don't know if the stereotype, what the right word is, it's a racist thing, but our, mm-hmm. uh, of the objectification of Asian women as almost like just objects. And when some of the stuff with that, the shooter, the guy was like, when he was saying that he was treating them in his interviews, like mm-hmm. objects, these women that he killed. And it, it ran my brain back. For those of mm. you who don't know, my wife is Korean. And I remember when we mm-hmm. were newly married, this is <laughs> so 25 years ago, we were, we were at a wedding and there was this old lady sitting in the pew in front of us at this wedding. And she turned around and she looked at the two of us and she grabbed Grace's knee, which uh, at that point I can kind of chalk that up to, okay, that's just crazy old person. Um, but then she said, to me, she's looking at me, not at Grace, and she said, she's lovely. Where did you get her? And when we were newly married, interracial marriages around the Lansing area were not yeah, super common yeah. that we saw. And sometimes I just didn't even know how to navigate those spaces. And so I remember saying, we met at Michigan State. And the look on her, her face was just like she didn't, she didn't know how to compute. And then she said, I kid you not. They're mm. such hard workers. And between the where did you get her and they mm. are such hard workers, I, it, I can't imagine a scenario where I had a wife of any other race or ethnicity where those mm. words would yeah. have been spoken. Yeah. It was a complete objectification of all Asian women as an yeah. object yeah. that worked hard. Part of me, I sometimes I get naive and I think, oh, uh, you know, that doesn't really happen that very much anymore. But then you see things like this shooting in Atlanta and the things that the guy said mm-hmm. about these women yeah. sexual yeah. objects. And you go, oh, my gosh, is this, is this trope still a huge thing? Mm-hmm. And when you're dealing with Asian women in our mm-hmm. church, and you're discipling them and just even your wife. Talk, talk to that experience if you mm-hmm. can. I mean, yeah, obviously, yeah. you're not an Asian woman. Yeah, Reflect on that you know, a little bit. Man, that's... that's uh... Yes, there's a lot there. You know, it's it's the objectification of Asian women. It's the fetishization of Asian women. It's the uh, ex- exoticizing of Asian women. I'm gonna use a word that I hate using, but it's like you know, oh, they're so Oriental. They're so you know, they look so different, and yeah. um, you know, it's playing on the tropes of the the stereotypical passivity of of Asian people, and then even more so with Asian women. Um, and so you can kind of be a little bit more domineering with, with Asian women in that sense. At least I, I'm, I'm talking about this in with regard to um, perhaps the, uh, uh, with, with regard to the, the shooter in, in Atlanta. Sure, sure, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I don't know entirely if, where, if my wife has ever experienced that. I know that she's had this one instance within our church where um, I believe uh, she got a haircut and then one person within our our staff or someone within our church came up to her and she's like, oh, like your haircut looks beautiful. And and then she did this thing. She did the whole pull, pulling back your eyes thing. Um, the corner. No, I'm not kidding. Oh, um, you're kidding. She's like, oh, it like compliments your eyes. And then she did the thing. 
the pulling back with the eyes to just highlight that. And my wife was just like telling me, like, I don't know how to respond to that. Like how, how, because for, oh for us growing up as Asian people, right? Like that's how people like made fun of us. It's like, Oh, how do you, how do you see the DC and widescreen yeah, and all yeah. that? Blah, 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 blah. And it's kind of like, and I've gotten that growing up so many times. She's gotten that growing up so many times. And that's not like an objectification. That's just the ex- exoticizing uh, in, to that, to that extent of like our eyes. Mm-hmm. Right. And. Right. You know, I, I can, I won't speak for Asian women because their experiences are going to be hundred percent different than mine, but the amount of stories I've, I've been, I've been told by Asian women that are my friends and peers, um, they have experienced that, you know, fetishization or exoticizing or even flipping it. Like there was one time where a group of uh, my friends who are Asian women, they were going out and this was when I was in college and they were out um, walking on campus and and some dudes were walking by them and they were kind of catcalling them, unfortunately. So that's just the objectification of women right there, which men should not be catcalling women. And then my friends, they, they just walked past them and one of them blurted out, it's okay, we don't even like Asian women anyways. And so now there's this devaluing, this like, like this spectrum flip from one end to the other of like, oh, you're not going to to submit to my cat calling or answer my cat calling. Well, you're not worth anything. And particularly to affect, it's not even just like, oh, whatever, we don't like you because you you know you didn't respond. But it's like we don't like Asian women anyways. And so it's kind of like, what do you do with them, right? right? And so, um, wow, you know that that is a reality you know, that I think exists within our culture and within our society. And, you know, you throw in, you know, pornography and you throw in um, even, you know, sex trafficking and human trafficking and all that within, you know, just our world. And that will paint the the picture for men who, um, and, and women, but mainly men in this conversation, um, that will see Asian women as just like, a sex object, right? Um, and there's a long history in in the in our country, uh, unfortunately, that comes with that because of like immigration and trying to make it alive and trying to feed your family and and people exploiting these vulnerable women in this case that were immigrants to this country to make money in order to put food on the table for their families, and this is the unfortunate outcome where they get exploited through pornography or anything like that, and then that just trains the mind. Uh, of a depraved individual to think this is mm. how I should be viewing Asian women, you know, and then boom, then, you know, unfortunately, I'm not saying this happens all the time, but man, the fact that it even happened once is not okay. And that's where you get the, the shooting in Atlanta. Imagine mm-hmm. if you will, that you're a pastor speaking to non-Asian congregation mm. members in a church that is desiring to be more ethnically diverse and sensitive to these issues but just uh, they're clueless Mm. and they don't even know how to think about it that is the that is the question right you know i think that the first thing is if you want to diversify a church in that way and if i were to talk to like our congregation essentially it's care about the issues that minorities within our church care about and if you if you don't then like it's just it's an uphill battle already and the the slope becomes even steeper. I say that with with 
the reality of knowing that when people hear that it's it's it becomes especially in our day and age today that it just instantly becomes political regardless of your ethnicity that just becomes a political thing and yeah. and quite frankly that just sucks that like race issues regarding race and ethnicity yeah become politicized and so if you can avoid that somehow within your own thought and within your own heart that this this is not a political thing to care about the issues that pertain to minorities but at least give the light of day to think about it and then work through you know the gospel and work through the scriptures and see how uh and prayerfully consider like okay how can i as you know a, a white person um come alongside my asian american brothers and sisters or how can i as a black person um come alongside my asian american brothers and sisters um because i can say that because when when all the stuff with um with uh, the racial tension between uh within for black people in this country especially this last year came about like there were many asian people either within our church or outside the church or in other churches that really heavily considered like what are what like these are the issues that black people care about okay how can i care about them as well um and there are also white people as well that did that too right mm. and, and so so Lord. when yeah and and i say this because and i say this with with caution especially you know you know i, I don't know where people are at but a lot of people will hear that and be like oh we're moving away from being gospel centered and it's like no that's the point of being gospel centered you're centered around the gospel it's your firm foundation it's your firm anchor that you allows you to care and move a little bit about uh, uh not away from the gospel but you're attached to it so you're always carrying that with you but to jump into these different spheres of life and to essentially be that light of Christ in these dark places like issues pertaining um like racism or like the objectification of women or the fetishization of asian women you know etc and all these different things and in in my humble opinion this is just young talking i think that that's what it means to be gospel centered and and to be gospel focused and that's what i would tell at least one of the many things i would tell people is can you care about the issues that pertain to the minorities in your church and if the answer is no why is that like what why is it that you can't care about them uh, are you afraid that you're going to be labeled as a liberal or you know social justice warrior or are you afraid that you're going to move away from being gospel centered um what are the fears there right um is it going to shed on even maybe a sin in your life that you've been covering up for the, your entire life i i know that uh, i'll tell one one quick little story last year um there was someone who i talked to and they had a friend who was a white female um and for the first time in her entire life she finally confessed to her friend um that she was a she had racist ideologies uh and views of black men because of and she didn't know how to share that and she she grew up in the church and she um has black friends but she just always had this like weird hesitancy and fear around black men and she realized it's because she had this like closeted racist <laughs> um sin in her life and she finally was able to confess that um, wow. to her friend wow. and began to work through that with guess what the gospel <laughs> and and that's what i mean and and she began to care about the issues that that black people went through in her church or in her life and that moved her to repentance confession and then the gospel working through her life And so I think that's that's what I would want to tell a a, a oh. church that pursue, wants to pursue diversity or growing 
is can you begin to care about the issues that the minorities in your church are caring about? Um, and, and the last thing I'll say here is there have been a couple of staffers on our church that have reached out to me personally. You know, obviously our elders, um, there are elders who have done that, but then our staffers as well who have reached out and even congregants who have reached out and said like, hey, like, are you doing okay? Like, and I see them repost things and, you know, sure you can, you know, lambast, you know, people reposting things and not that not really doing anything. But for me, when I see that, it's yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah. at least I know they care. And if they care, then I can talk to them about this. And if I can talk to them about this, I can, I can learn from them. They yeah. can learn from me and we can continue growing and building. You know, it's interesting. I, was t- I, I talked to one of the other Riv pastors a couple weeks ago and he asked me, he said, why do you think it is that anytime we reference anything race-oriented during a sermon, whether it be mm. a 15-second comment or a, a longer illustration or a main point, he goes, why is it every time that happens, we get kind of an onslaught of white folks that ask us why we use those illustrations or those points when we don't ever use, when we don't ever get that question <laughs> on any other illustration or point that we use. Yeah. And it was a really good question. Like why? And I, you know, and no, I didn't want no, to have the knee jerk. Well, they're racist. You know, that wasn't, but my thought, I said, I think what happens is, is for some reason when those issues come up, white folks, and I say <laughs> this as a white guy, a middle-aged white guy, but just about as white as you can get, I think there's this fear that the illustration itself implicates or accuses us mm. on behalf of an entire race. There's this yeah. knee-jerk you reaction that gets defensive. About this and he, he's, uh, uh, he's also a white guy. He's my age, and he's a ministry leader. And uh, I asked him that question. I was like, why, why do white people get offended when... Uh, this any issues about race get brought up in a sermon as just an illustration, right? Whether it's a short illustration or a long one, why why is that? And and he right, brought up right. a really good yeah. point, yeah. That I began to mull through as well. But essentially, he said he doesn't think it's necessarily about race per se, but it's more about a, a very individualized culture, um, as opposed to a communal culture. So, what his thought oh. was, and, and I, I agree with him on this, is that people like in this case white people might get frustrated uh, or upset because it's like that wasn't me that was that person that was that yeah uh, and so when you begin because to, it's so individual you begin to um uh, bring up the issue of like like that person was racist i'm not racist right so why are you bringing up this illustration it doesn't pertain to me that's probably why people get so frustrated and and i can contrast that with and when you look at the trial of George Floyd that's going on, one of the police officers, he was Hmong American. He was Asian American, Chu Tao. And I remember when that news was first brought up last year, that one of the, the police officers was an Asian American guy. I saw Hmong, my friends who are part of the Hmong community mobilize and host workshops and, re- and publicly repented on behalf of him. And said, we need to do better. Wow. We need to train and teach and disciple our Hmong people better to not just stand idle when they see something like this happen. Um, whether you're in law enforcement or not. I wow. saw Asian American people, just non-Hmong Americans, other Asians, Korean, Japanese, Chinese, Thai, everyone, right? In the AAPI community, gather together and say, there was a fellow Asian person here, right? 
and I won't say like this is all Asian people, right? There's it's not a monolith in that sense. But but the overwhelming amount sure, of people sure, that sure, I know sure, who are sure. Asian, when they saw that one of the people in the, the whole George Floyd case was Asian American, they repented of it. They said we need to do better and we need to grow because Asian people, and this is not a stereotype, this is just a reality, is that we are more communal. When we and so which is why on the flip side, when we see somebody right. um that Asian women get shot. We don't think, oh, that was just an, an, another Asian woman. It was, no, that's my mom. That's my sister. That's my aunt. That's my grandma. Wow, and yeah. so we have this communal mentality, which is why when a preacher talks about, you know, hey, this was a sin committed in the Asian community by an Asian person, we grieve with that. We lament with that. We say, that is my sin as well. And the whole question of who is my brother's keeper, you ask any Asian person that in a more modern way, they're going to say, I am, right? And and so I think that there's something there um, when it comes to why people might get upset of like, why are you bringing up race again in this context? It wasn't me. I'm not racist. It's like, no, like we're not saying you're racist, but we're saying at the very least, be aware of this and and be be accountable um, to other people uh, that, you know, are within your ethnic group or that share the same color, skin color as you. So even right now with all the the, the rise in API crimes, hate crimes, some of them are perpetuated and committed by black people. Now, what do you do with that, right? There's a lot there, but at the very least, what I can say is there have been so many of my black friends on social media that have called their black communities um, to, to, to essentially stop and to, to hold themselves to a higher standard and to not commit, perpetuate these crimes against Asian people. And, and again, that black Black communities are also very communal as well. People have such a knee-jerk reaction, like, why are you talking about this? It's not a sin that I have. It's their sin, not mine. Um, and it's not necessarily about like white or versus Asian or whatever, or white versus minorities. I think it's about individualism versus communalism. You know, we have a series coming up at Riv on prayer in a couple months. And as I've been studying for that series, one of the things I've been struck by is the number of mm. Old Testament prophets who repented on mm. behalf of all of Israel and even with sins that you would be hard pressed to say that the prophet himself mm -hmm. committed. Mm. <laughs> he would say, yes. I yes. and we are this, <laughs> you know, and and I do think that we are so mm. individualized as Americans. We have a really hard time seeing even yeah. the obvious we language in scripture, let alone the hard, hard you know, mm -hmm. we don't have use or y'all or use guys <laughs> in, in yeah. normal proper English or the UP, right? Uh, that's where we got the use guys, but we don't have mm -hmm. that. So we read you mm -hmm. as me instead of you as us. And so even in the but we don't even see the right. easy ones where they, where yeah. he is saying us, and it's not clearly him as the prophet. And I think that there are yes. obviously strengths to individualistic cultures just as mm. much as there are weaknesses oh, yeah. to individualistic cultures. Sure. And the same with communal cultures and same with any culture. We have to just right. know what those strengths and weaknesses mm. are and not run from them. You'll leverage the strengths and, and not be... Totally. afraid of calling the weaknesses what they yeah. are so yeah. you know you and you and i could talk about this for another two hours 
this has been a great conversation. Yeah. And I just want to say, just as we're closing up, yeah. how thankful I am for you as a brother in Christ and as somebody mm-hmm. who has pastored and shepherded me in a lot of ways and wow. in this space in particular. And I've learned a, a ton from you. I'm so happy you. that you're thank part you. of our team. And so I just thank yeah. you for all the yeah. pastoring no, you, you do in my life. And I just thank coming for from you. That's that's high. High remarks coming from you. And so thank you for 2008 preaching <laughs> the gospel so boldly then and, you know, being my pastor now and being my mentor <laughs> now. And I really appreciate you. And thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Once again, I apologize for the bad audio. Really, Young's audio sounded pretty good. It was just mostly mine as I was walking around my neighborhood and in through the woods and through the condos and the glens. And so uh, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you learned as much as I did in listening in on the conversation uh, between Young and I. If this uh, podcast is helpful to you at all or you think it'd be something uh, that would be helpful for other people, I would love for you to subscribe and or to like, to share with your friends, do all those important uh, things and get the word out. And we will be back in two weeks uh, with another guest and another episode of the Recovering Hypocrite Podcast. Peace.